Welcome to CTO Confessions with TC Gill. Brought to you by IT Labs. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This episode of CTO Confessions is brought to you by the one and only IT Labs, providing technology leaders with purpose-driven development teams for high-performance innovation and productivity. What more could you want? Please think of us like tech leaders' favourite off-the-shelf service, providing quality, high-performing teams off that shelf. And your host today is me, TC Gill, IT Labs Chief Talking Officer, and I'm speaking from London, UK. So, Rob, welcome to CTO Confessions. It's great to have you on board, sir. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. So tell the audience a little bit about yourself. Who are you, what do you do, and who do you work for? So I'm Rob Manino. I am the CTO of Sanguina, and we are a, a small startup company uh, working on point-of-care tools for helping people maintain health and wellness based in Atlanta, Georgia. Wow, fantastic. We'll get more into that in a minute because I'm really intrigued by the solution that you're providing to the market. But first, I'm really interested, Rob, what's your tech journey been like from techie to tech leadership? Yeah, so I have gone on quite the journey to get here. Uh, it's really about my whole motivation to be in tech in the first place. So I have a blood disorder. I'm called beta thalassemia. It's a genetic blood disorder and it causes me to be severely anemic. Uh, we're going to talk about anemia a lot during this podcast. Uh, but basically, I am so anemic that I require blood transfusions once a month to survive. So um, I go into the hospital, get four or five units of donated blood every three weeks. And I've done that every month since I was born, really. Throughout my life, I've gotten to watch how advances in medical technology impact people's lives directly. And it's what made me want to help people in that way, right? So I started, um, I went to undergraduate at the Georgia Institute of Technology in Atlanta, and I reached out to professors to try and get a, like a research job, just like start out, right? And someone who I knew through my pediatric hematologist um, got me set up with a meeting with a bioengineering professor and a clinical hematologist uh, over at uh, Children's Healthcare of Atlanta and Emory University, which is nearby. Actually the same you know, connection of where I got my uh, treatments growing up. And I got a start in his research lab. I'm doing something totally unrelated to apps and technology, completely like fully um, engineering. It's a space called microfluidics. Um, very, uh, very uh, basic science technology, right? Oh, no. So I really enjoyed research, biomedical research specifically. So I decided to stay on um, in his lab after I graduated undergrad and pursue a PhD. I'm at the same place, uh, Georgia Tech and Emory, uh, where I started getting into some of some of this more uh, technology focused things. So the main product that Sanguine is bringing, uh, one of the main products that Sanguine is bringing to market is this uh, mobile app for uh, allowing a user to measure hemoglobin levels um, by taking a picture of your fingernails. So this spun out of my research as a, like, while I was getting my PhD. And this was an idea that is really based in old school medicine. It's something that my uh, former advisor and I came up with where doctors for a long time have known that if you're anemic, like I am all the time, um, you tend to be a little bit more pale, right? Just generally, qualitatively, paleness equals anemia. So we thought now that people have smartphone cameras in their pockets all the time and they're getting better and better, there might be a way to leverage that to actually quantitatively what your blood hemoglobin level is, which is the protein that causes anemia um, by just looking at how pale you are. 
And that idea spun this whole thing, right? So um, I did the initial testing on myself, right? Just took some pictures of my fingernails and got my blood hemoglobin levels when I would go to the doctor, right? Because my levels change a lot with the transfusions. Saw that there was something there. Fantastic. Started a clinical study and then built out like, you know, once the clinical study worked out well, I built out an MVP, learned how to develop apps, right? And and put something together um, to take it into the clinic, got some data, and then spun out this company once we realized that it was starting to work. So then it was just me, you know, the founding team, but as far as the tech team, it was just me developing things that obviously not sustainable. So we got some funding and grew out the team. And now I lead a small team of developers and data scientists to bring this thing to market and commercialize it. So I've kind of gone from the single idea all the way to leading a small team um, to visualize a product. So Rob, this is absolutely fantastic. I love how you've got a very purpose-driven mission here, and it's obviously very personal to yourself. So describe the, the mechanism or how you measure the hemoglobin. What's the process there? Yeah, so the mechanism is basically that hemoglobin is what causes your blood to be red. Right. So in certain regions of the body, like the fingernails and the uh, pink part around the eye, the conjunctiva, um, you don't have a lot of um, skin pigment. So the primary color contributor comes from the blood flowing underneath. Right. And so the more hemoglobin you have, the more red, the more flushed the regions will appear, the higher your hemoglobin. And then the other way, um, the less hemoglobin, the more pale you are, the more likely you are to meet anemic. And so that idea has kind of been around for a long time, but no one has really, no one has really quantitatively um, done the research until us. And part of that is because it's not super easy to to do, right? Mm. Uh, I was kind of the perfect first test subject to do it because my hemoglobin levels change um, so rapidly and so much in a short period of time. And I, and I know what they are at all times because of my, my treatment, uh, my disease, which is, you know, rather rare. So I was just the, the perfect person to study. Wow. Fantastic. And I can imagine this is going to make a huge difference to many people out there. Well, the people that have this kind of condition. Does it have uses outside of people that have got maybe lesser you know, problems with this kind of stuff? Has it got other use cases? Oh, absolutely. So my specific disease is pretty rare, but anemia in general, people having low hemoglobin levels is extremely common. So worldwide, it's probably around 2 billion people. And the biggest um, contributor is uh, iron deficiency and nutritional deficiencies in general. Right. So it's very, very common in low and middle income countries. Um, it's really common, you know, worldwide in particularly pregnant women and the elderly. I'm sure if you poll the women in your life, you will find someone who's dealt with some degree of anemia at some point in her life. Um, right. It's extremely common. And so being able to know, you know, keep track of your maybe dietary supplementation from home would be very, very useful for a lot of people. Yes, that's great. And in terms of your product, then, is it out in the market already? It is. It is available in the United States only on both the uh, Apple App Store and Google Play. Um, it's free to download, free to use. We have a premium subscription version of it that allows you to uh, self-calibrate the app using uh, blood test values. But the free version um, is available right now that you can you can download it and use it and see how well it works for you. Fantastic. That's great. So I'm sure there'll be a lot of people in our audience listening to that, probably downloading it right now as we speak. So Rob, other than the great problem you're solving with what you've just described, what is Sanguina doing as well? What other problems in the market are they solving? Yeah. So in addition to just health and wellness, we're really interested in diagnostics as well. 
We have a companion blood test that goes along with the premium version of our app uh, where you can um, get a quick blood test from home to know exactly what your hemoglobin level is. Um, the device is currently in interactive review with the FDA right now, so it'll be uh, hopefully coming online soon. And you know, with that, you'll be able to have the first uh, FDA-cleared diagnostic tool for measuring hemoglobin levels at home. Wow, fantastic. So this is great, Rob. I love this. I want to now just shine a light on your leadership. How do you roll as a leader? What's your style? Yeah, so my leadership style, I would say, is fairly laid back. Um, I come from an academic background, and so I cannot handle micromanagement, and I will not do it with anyone that, that works for me. Um, I like to uh, be given a problem and start down the path of solving it. Right. And I like to do that to my uh, for my employees as well. Um, so in order to work for me, I value, first of all, competence, um, being really smart, really good at what you do, um, which I, I guess is pretty obvious. And I also value self-reliance and the ability to take a project and understand um, what the you know what the problem is being asked and you know start to solve it. Right. Mm. Those are so I would say I'm pretty laid back if you know what you're doing. And luckily my team is uh, pretty great. So um, I've had to kind of learn this whole thing on the fly. So it's been uh, it's been a fun experience for me to be able to take what my advisor's previous leadership style was and kind of mold it into my own version. Love it. And, and on that journey of learning that you kind of mentioned, are there any kind of moments where any lessons that you would like to kind of share with us that would be enlightening for other leaders, aspiring leaders out there? So um, lessons about about leadership, I would say at, at the very least in, in the initial stages, and I don't, maybe this isn't the, the perfect way to answer this question, but I would say to try and make sure that when you're bringing on you know, people or, or resources to to accomplish a problem. Make sure that that first, like for the initial problem solving, make them make sure that they're in house. Uh, make sure that they're someone that you can teach and and grow with uh, with the business as as you learn things. Because the this is like part of the confession aspect of this podcast. I didn't do that at first, and I some after my uh, MVP that I built when I kind of reached the limit of my um, app development skills, as I'm more of a, a data scientist. We you know, farmed out the development of the next version and it did not go that well. Wow. Right? Okay. Um, had to pretty much, so we got to the point of a, of a public release and we got to get, getting some feedback that um, we really decided that we had to, like, we learned a lot. We decided that we had to scrap it and bring it in-house and um, develop the, the next version of the app, the one that's currently available ourselves because there's a lot of institutional knowledge that you gain when you build something like this right you learn all of the little tricks yes like how the how the camera functions appropriately to like you know look at the nail bed in a certain way things like that and it's really nice to have that in-house and if you're if i'm trying to you know hire competent problem solvers they need all that context it's really helpful yes so that's been a big lesson that i've learned and something that i wanted to share I can't imagine we're the only people, we're the only yes. company that dealt with this. Excellent. Thank you for sharing. That's a really great lesson, I think, for all of us. I've got to hear a question around what keeps you up at night as a tech leader. What does keep you up at night? What's the thing that plays on your mind? Oh, man. So what keeps me up at night would be learning to manage teams of data scientists. And the reason I say that is because it's very analogous to the research world that I came from, right, where with 
software development and app development in general, you have discrete tasks that can be solved, right? Implement this feature. This is how it's done and you go do it. And it takes this long and it's easy to, it's easy to milestone. It's easy to predict or not easy, but you know, it's, it's doable to set milestones and come up with timelines and achieve them and things like that. With data scientists, data science and research, it's a lot harder when you, because you can't necessarily say, oh, I need this much more data to make my model 10% better. Like mm. how long is that going to take? You don't really know. Um, it's a lot of trial and error. It's a lot of research. And um, it's something that I that I definitely that I definitely struggle with coming up with ways to take a problem um, in the data science world and break it down into the research steps necessary, and then start along the path of implementation into actually getting something into production. So I would say that's my that's the that's the thing that keeps me up up at night the most because it's so difficult to really uh, set timelines on and, and figure out exactly what is necessary to solve a research problem. Yes. The world of data has a lot of rabbit holes, I imagine, that you go chasing down and uh, and get going. Awesome. So on that question then, is there any kind of tips that you've learned in the process that stop you from going down those data rabbit holes and knowing when to back up and maybe start from another point? Yeah, so that's a great question about, uh, about the rabbit holes because that's exactly how I would describe it. Um, really, it's taken me and my team going down some of the rabbit holes to be able to, to, to identify when it's happening right. and, be able to, and be able to stop it and say, okay, you know, this branch of research is not yielding what we, what we need it to. This may not be the, the way to go in the short term, mm. but let's, you know, keep this, keep this in mind, but move on to potentially some other steps that we can try before we fully exhaust a research path that could potentially take, you know, weeks and months. Yes. And it's really taken getting down into them and then go and then assessing afterwards and being like, hey, how could we have done that differently? When could we have, when should we have pulled the plug? How could we have known that this wasn't going to yield the results that we wanted? Yes. Um, but sometimes it really just takes doing it. And I think, I think a lot of people in the field know what that's like <laughs> yes great that's great learning and a great art to learn as well knowing when to back up and start from a different point and i've got a question here around getting the best out of your teams you kind of mentioned that you have a particular style you've learned that style and in the kind of world remote working are you a remote company do you do you we are completely yes. remote yep so my team i'm based in atlanta um georgia with the founding team my developers are in salt lake city utah and my data scientist is in Seattle, Washington. Wow. So we're kind of all over the place. So yeah, dealing with remote work and different time zones is, is something that I'm very familiar with nowadays. Excellent. And what about any advice that you got for other tech leaders out there? Would you like to share a story of how you make that work, how you get better communication and alignment and, and collaboration even? Yeah. So first of all, I would say that it's definitely something that should be strongly considered. I, I really like it. Um, I really like the the remote work style. Like not to say that, yeah, I'm a pretty social person, right? I like seeing people um, in person. Uh, we have an annual meeting with the company that everyone flies into Atlanta, and, and we get and we get to have that time, um, which is nice. But the ability to have the like the work life balance of uh, of remote work, I think, is it enables my team to be more productive, and also it doesn't geographically constrain me to find talent, right? Like I can. When I recruit, I can find talent wherever the best people are and not have to worry about that. So as far as how to make it work, I think the I think the only thing is you have to be much more purposeful 
about your communication, right? It's not just going to, there's no water cooler talk, right? It's not just going to happen in, in the office. You need to really purposefully make an effort to get to know the people that work with you and and take some time out of your day. Like if you have a, have a meeting, maybe spend your mark the first 10 minutes of it to just ask how things are going in people's lives because mm. it's important and it's and it's good to be able to know about who you're working with and develop trust and a relationship with them and i think that you just have to be more purposeful about it than you do in an in-person environment yes. but the the benefits you know the, the benefits of it i think are, are are great right no one is commuting um, no one has to move people get to if they have to you know something if something comes up uh, in the middle of the day, like their car gets stolen, you can just kind of, you can kind of uh, handle that, right? Yes, yes. Um, and still, and still get work done, contribute at, at the level that that anyone else can, especially in the tech world where um, you don't have to work on full product. Yes, I, I love that. It aligns very much with my own kind of purposeful way of working with teams, which is a relationship first build that get that right and then everything else just feels a little bit easier you know the human human uh, connection and understanding and uh, and then then the social system in itself just kind of uh, helps you know develop all the other things that we need to do as well excellent and i've got a question here uh, we kind of touched on it offline but i'd like to kind of cover it in the podcast as well is that your thoughts on augmenting teams now you kind of mentioned that your first attempt at augmenting uh, some of the work and outsourcing it to a, a third party completely didn't work out what advice would you give to tech leaders would you would you use augmenting teams again or is this something that you avoid like the plague oh yeah no i absolutely wouldn't avoid it like the plague i think the key is that someone on your team needs to be the owner of the technology that you're going to be using, you know, out outsourcing or, or augmenting the team with. Someone mm -hmm. has to know it completely and be the team leader and have the, you know, documentation down 100% in order to be able to facilitate that interaction between an external team. And, you know, we we have done that and it's worked much better since. It's just um, having the institutional knowledge in-house is so, so important. Mm -hmm. If someone's working on a contract and they leave, things happen. Technology breaks down. Things get updated. I mean, we all we all this right. Maintenance um, is a is a pretty large task if you're not in it day in and day out. So. Yes, absolutely. In fact, there was a, another podcast that I um, listened to around the importance of being able to maintain. It, that's the thing that always gets forgot. The building, yes, but maintenance is absolutely a key to a long term success in many things that we do. Probably more important than initially building because yeah. um, we have a, a two-week update cycle. The product that we release is so different than what is currently available, right? You know, it's been, and it's only been a year, but um, if we weren't continually building and maintaining, I think we would be leaving a lot on the table in, in terms of the customer experience. Yeah, great. That's great to hear. And being a company that is a startup and you're developing and you're growing, what are the grown pains that you spotted? And have you got any advice on tips to mitigate those pains? Yeah, so I guess the the growing pains are there's always there's always more work to do and you're always con constrained by um, you know the budget and how much and the runway, right? Um, we when you're in a startup, we we're in a unique place where we can kind of set the company direction. There are a lot of different ways that we can go and we have a lot of conversations with different potential partners. So it's figuring out there are so many cool things that we want to do. What do we actually have the resources to do effectively? And how do we prioritize that? 
think that's been the the biggest the biggest growing pain for us is you know at the beginning it was just it was just me with an idea i want to build this app right and now there's like do I want to partner with this company with this with this use case? How would it what how much would it take to build that out? But knowing that, you know, I only have my small team and they're already working so hard, how do how do you manage that? It's not like a singular focus anymore. Mm. It's just gonna get harder and harder, I think. Okay. Now thank you for sharing that. And now coming towards the closing arc of our time together, I've got some nice warm questions for you, Rob. What advice would you give to aspiring tech leaders? You've kind of shared some great advice already, but any particular points that you'd like to make and say, don't do this or do do that? So I think the biggest the biggest advice that I have for tech leaders is to focus on the impact that whatever you're building is going to have or currently has, because it's so easy to get bogged down in the day-to-day of what problem you're trying to solve on that day or what feature you're trying to build or, you know, workplace issue you're trying to solve. But really, at least what helps me avoid burnout is just to think about, okay, who am I helping? What are my users going to, how are my users going to benefit from what we're doing? Hmm. And that's kind of been my guiding, my guiding principle this whole time, right? It makes it a lot easier to work on the day-to-day challenges that come up um, to get where you're trying to go. So always keep that impact um, front and center in your mind. Yeah, absolutely. And Rob, are there any kind of books or films or plays, whatever, that have really helped you in your tech leadership and uh, helped you advance on your journey? Yeah, so I... Uh, you know, I don't, I don't want to sound uneducated uh, when I when I answer this, but I don't really turn to media for you know advice on my leadership style or or my uh, my ability to like to learn technology. I tend to when I focus on like I tend to use media like books and and films and things to escape. Mm. Um, love sci-fi, right? Um, so I guess that's close. But if I'm really looking to better myself as a tech leader. I tend to seek the advice of those whose leadership style I admire. And I lean on my network and my former advisors and mentors a lot for things like that. Fantastic. That's really good. Great advice. Great advice. And I'm going to now offer you a wish. I'm going to pretend to be the tech genie. And I'm going to offer you a wish for your leadership, for your technology, for your industry. What would you wish for? So tech genie, are you talking about chat GPT? <laughs> but no, um, I would say I wish that third-party integrations would actually happen as seamlessly as the sales reps for them say that they will. Right. That's what I would wish for. Yes. Yeah, plug yeah. and play. It's easy. No big deal. Yes. I, I document everything. <laughs> I can feel some uh, scars and experiences behind uh, that comment there. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. So as a genie, I'm a big believer in APIs and APIs that work. Okay, so we can get that integration. So I'm going to make that wish come true for you. And as we come to the full stop of our time together, a final key takeaway, what would be your parting words to the tech audience out there? I think my perfect parting words were the ones that I already answered in that previous question, which was just to, to keep the keep the impact in mind. Yeah. Um, understand your users and understand how you're going to help them. That will guide you through everything else. That's a great note to finish on, Rob. Thank you for your time. It's been great having you on CTO Confessions. And finally, 
Remember to subscribe to CTO Confessions podcast and IT Labs newsletter, where you get regular tech articles and invites to the IT Labs webinar series. URLs for this can be found at the bottom of this page. We are consistently creating material to create, nurture and support a community of tech leaders. And of course, if you want to know more about IT Labs services, including our Teams as a Service service, please don't hesitate to get in touch. As mentioned in the intro, please think of us like tech leaders' favourite off-the-shelf service, providing agility, high-performing teams off that shelf with a wide breadth of skill and knowledge. Well, that's all, folks. Look after each other and keep safe. Wishing you all a good day or evening, wherever you are in the world, from all of us here at IT Labs. Live long, live well and prosper. Until we meet again on the next CTO Confessions podcast.